You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Well, good evening, everyone. So good to see you tonight. Beautiful autumn night. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We introduced Philippians last week as we looked at Paul's journey into Philippians. What was one of the more significant things about Paul moving into the Macedonian region with the gospel? Or what led to it? We'll start there. What led to Paul going into the Macedonian region? That's right. He was, he was trying to go one direction. He was trying to go east, but the Holy Ghost forbade him and said go west instead. Um, all right. And there was another pretty significant thing that got him to go into Macedonia. There was the vision. That's right. Uh, a vision of a man saying, come over and help us. Uh, and so that was significant. Uh, what was significant about the westward movement and the gospel being preached and a church has been established in the area of Macedonia? That's right. It introduced the gospel into Europe. And it's really fun to, uh, I, encourage, I, I encourage you to have some good Bible study material. But maps are pretty fun too when you're studying the Bible. If you get out and kind of follow the maps and kind of look at the journeys and everything. And this is uh, Philippi. This is in mod- the modern day Greece area. And actually there's still a Philippi uh, that's over there. Same uh, general area. Um, named after King Philip uh, II of Macedonia as we talked about. The the father of Alexander the Great. But um, anyway, this church was established there in Europe, and it's pretty cool because I meant to look at this too because when you study church history, it's a pretty interesting thing to look how how long uh, the church uh, thrived in northern Italy and southern France. That's uh, for for throughout the persecution and everything, that was uh, especially the Abigenses and Waldenses and some of that area, which were, you know, just basically New Testament uh, preaching churches that stayed in that area and was able to thrive for years, even under Roman persecution. But uh, but regardless, this was a significant thing, the church getting started there. So now we're going to actually get into the book of Philippians. Now, uh, by this time, Paul, of course, um, this church was established on his... Uh, second missionary journey now the apostle paul is in prison he's in prison writing a letter to the philippians and so let's just read this first chapter tonight and we'll uh, we'll cover what we can out of chapter one this evening at from the very beginning this book is it starts off different than some of the other epistles and i'd encourage you to uh, consider that but it starts off this way paul and timotheus the servants of jesus christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacon. deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with that verse, if I read that verse and you weren't saying it along with me, as I read it, mark it, highlight it, write it down, memorize that verse. Please. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he... 
which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart and as much both in my bonds and in, my, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Um, the defense right there is the Greek word uh, apologia where we get the term apologetics from. I remember the first time I remember hearing uh, referenced, and, and remember I'm not the, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so the first time I began to hear about somebody being, a, being an apologist for someone or something or whatever, I thought, well, why are they saying they're sorry? You know, and I'd hear about a Christian apologist, and I thought, well, why, you know, uh, but of course, uh, defense is apologia. It is, it is, and so apologetics is, is defense, and so I enjoy apologetics. I enjoy uh, studying, um, and it's, it's an interesting thing. I was, I was actually pretty surprised when I found out that the fundamentalists of the early 1900s uh, that were so, such a blessing in so many ways, but they were actually against apologetics. It was, I was fascinated to find that out. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So from the depths of his heart, his innermost being, and that's what it's talking about there uh, with the bowels, that's the reference there, at least in the Bible, um, that he's just longing for them. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve all things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the, unto the glory and the praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Which is pretty awesome if you think about it. In other words, he's been beaten, he's in jail. Uh, but these things that have happened to me are for the furtherance of the gospel. And this will be one of the points that I emphasize. And I'll just go ahead and give you my outline of chapter number one. Uh, my general outline that I'm trying to use as we look at it. I'm looking at his connection, his comrades, his, his fellowship. Because he's, that's, you can see that big time in the book of Philippians. I mean, you're getting it. He's telling these people, man, I love y'all. Y'all are such a blessing to me. I think anytime y'all come to mind, it just blesses my heart. Uh, I think about you, and I think about you often, and it's just a blessing to me. And so we'll emphasize that again in just a moment. But I, one of the other things that's awesome about the book of Philippians is that the Apostle Paul is able to put his chains into context. So we see his connections with the saints, but we see the context of his chains. In other words, he's looking at what he's going through, and it's one of my favorite, maybe my favorite story of all in the entire Word of God is that of Joseph. And you see that same principle applied because you'll remember Joseph said, uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it to stop me. You meant it to end what uh, God was doing in my life, but now God has not only blessed me through it, but I'm going to be able to bless you because of what you did. And so he says, you meant it for evil. The, the, the Romans didn't mean any good. and The Jews didn't mean any good by having Paul in prison. But he's saying again in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Um, so so it's in the palace, that palace right there is a reference to the Praetorian Guard. Uh, the elite Roman soldiers 
I mean, he was housed, uh, he was in prison there. These were, were the elite, these were the cream of the crop, these were some of the uh, most high-ranking people in the Roman Empire. Uh, these are guys that would on occasion be personal uh, guards for Caesar. Uh, so the palace there is a reference uh, to that. So in, in all other places, verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, and much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, some indeed preach Christ even unto envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not, sincere, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But, I am, but, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. It's tough to do something with somebody like that. Whether you kill me, whether you let me live, God's going to work and He's going to get the glory. Uh, verse number 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. And, uh, and I'm a straight betwixt the two. And I think we'll stop right there because the odds of us getting through the entire chapter are pretty slim. Uh, but as we, as we go back, the, the, the overriding themes in the book of Philippians is that of joy and that of love. Joy and love. And that's a pretty awesome thing. And we see some characteristics and some things associated with that. We see some cause and effect. Uh, for, for, so this church is noted for its joy and for its love. Paul is noted for his joy and love toward these churches. And I say this church, but uh, as we'll see, I believe he's preaching to the churches in that, that region because he mentions the bishops uh, and the deacons. Uh, so he mentions multiple uh, pastors, I believe, in that context. But when I said that, that the book starts off a little bit differently than some of the other letters, he just starts off by saying, Paul the servant. Paul the servant. Uh, in other words... Uh, in, in some of the other epistles, he's having to come in and assert his apostleship. He's having to remind them that I am the apostle of the Lord. And he's having to say, in, in, in a sense, he's pulling rank. Yeah. And he's saying, listen, I'm the apostle of the Lord and I've got some things to say to you. And you better heed these things because I am speaking to you the very words of God. And you would be wise to listen. He doesn't do that with the Philippians. He just says, Paul the servant. You know why? When you have a church that loves the Lord, cherishes His Word, and appreciate God's servants, you don't have to pull rank. And you know one of the blessings I'm telling you, when I was, when I was studying this today, I was thinking to myself, man, this church reminds me a lot of our church. I mean that. I mean a group of people that love the, the, that love the Lord, love the Word of God, love one another, appreciate those that serve in the church, appreciate the pastor of the church. Uh, did you know this was the one church that faithfully supported, financially supported the Apostle Paul uh, throughout uh, his time? You see that toward the end of the book of Philippians. I mean... Um, 
And it's just an amazing thing. But you don't have to pull rank in that regard. You can just be the servant. Amen? And, uh, and I'm glad that's the way it ought to be. Uh, and so that's the way it was. This was a church that loved the Lord and, uh, and, and loved the Word of God. So we didn't have to pull rank. Now here's something else interesting about this epistle. There's no doctrinal error to correct. You know, you look at uh, you look at many of the other books, and, and there's some little error that's creeping into the church, a doctrinal error. There's no gross carnality to rebuke. I say gross carnality because there is some that I mention in just a moment, but there's no gross carnality to rebuke. Uh, the word sin does not occur in the entire book, although he does later address a squabble between a couple of the ladies in the church. So even in this good church, uh, there were a couple ladies uh, that were uh, having some issues and a, and a little squabble. But here's the thing. He was confident. He was confident that he did not need to say, okay, ladies, the apostle's coming. No, he was confident that he, but because of their love, he, he, he gave them the benefit of the doubt. And he believed that a simple rebuke would help them to get the, their relationship right because, they under, because he, he felt like they would understand that this is going to be a hindrance to the work that God's trying to do. And, and I just say that because that's just such a blessing. It's not that, it's not that this church was a church that didn't make mistakes and, and so forth, but it was a church that he felt confident that he could just address and that people's hearts were in such a way to where they'd say, you know what, I want to make sure that I'm right. I don't want to be a hindrance to the work that God's doing. And so he did have something to address there. Uh, but again, it's just cool that he was confident in them working it out. Uh, interestingly enough, I've been pointing out a lot here recently as we go through some of these New Testament books, Old Testament references. I'll tell you, this is Leviticus. But there's not an Old Testament reference one in the book of Philippians which is an interesting uh, and kind of an unusual thing that, to find in uh, one of the epistles or in any of the other New Testament books. There's no great, great theological ground that's broken. There's no mysteries revealed. It seems that the main drive behind this letter is simply this. And, and it's an inspired letter. We understand that. But, the, but it seems like the simple message is this. Uh, I love and appreciate y'all. Yes, I'm in prison, but I feel, but, but, but I'm more than fine. I'm rejoicing in His purpose. And that's kind of what He's saying. Hey, I mean, it's literally, I'm thinking about y'all. God, and, and as you'll see here, you've been on my mind, you've been on my heart, you've been in my prayers. And so God put these people on His heart. And, and, and no doubt He heard from Timothy that, you know, these two ladies were kind of feuding a little bit back and forth. But it doesn't seem like that was the main thrust of it. Maybe He felt like it should be addressed, but instead He just begins to pour out His heart. Man, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all so much, man. Y'all are such a blessing. When, when I think about you, Lydia, but He didn't just call names. He, he, throughout the chap throughout the book you'll find out he keeps saying all y'all all y'all uh paraphrasing uh but all of you he's referring to everyone how much of a blessing but just think about that he is thinking going back to acts chapter number 16 he's thinking about lydia and her uh, and those that worked for her that come to the Lord. He's thinking about that poor demon-possessed girl uh, that was used and abused uh, by those uh, trying to get financial gain. He thought about that girl that the Lord had done such a work in. And he thought about that Philippian jailer. And I think if there was anybody that was pretty confident that Paul was okay in prison, it was probably that Philippian jailer. I'm sure other people were saying, oh my goodness, I wonder how Paul's doing. I wonder how he's making it being locked up in prison. I can imagine that 
that Philippian jailer being one that says, oh, believe me, God's going to help him in that prison. Amen? There's no telling what God's going to do with the Apostle Paul in that prison. And he was right. Uh, but isn't it cool how God works? Uh, because in, in Philippi, God brought an earthquake to release to help Paul and Silas get out of prison. But now, God does not allow him to be... Uh, he, God doesn't break him out of this prison. God leaves him in there. Why? Because God's got a different purpose. And that's where you just trust God. Uh, and so, that, that's an interesting thing. Um, now, how is Paul being so joyful throughout all this? Being locked up. Being in prison. You study the temperament of Paul. And Paul wasn't just the most easygoing type of guy at all. Easygoing would not be the way you to describe Paul from what I've been able to read about him. Uh, and you know, you just the character that you see coming out through the Scripture. But yet... Through being in prison, he's still just fine. He's joyful. And that's not to say that he doesn't have bad days. Amen? I mean, don't, don't misunderstand. When, when, when we're encouraged through the Scripture to be joyful, it, does, it doesn't mean that we don't ever get down a little bit. You can read the Apostle Paul. You'll find out times. The Bible says he despaired even of life. Which is to say, he got so depressed uh, that he just thought it'd be better just to go on. And, and not in a spiritual sense, like, it'd just be better to go into heaven. He's just like, I'd just as soon go to heaven. And, and again, you say, well, I, but again, he was saying that you can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He despaired even of life. And so, but the, but the thing was, is that's not, what he, that's not what he was noted for. We get down, we get discouraged. Sometimes we may even complain. But man, by God's grace, that shouldn't be how we are all the time. By God's grace that we should not be complainers, amen, and bellyachers. That should not be what we're noted for. Not to say that we don't do it, but just that it shouldn't be what we're known for. Um, but, but how did he do it? One of the things that helped the Apostle Paul, the secret, I believe, of his joy is a single mind. A single mind. Uh, and this is a really powerful principle, really, because... Uh, the Bible says it talks about how a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And did you know that, uh, that, that to worry, the idea behind worrying, and when the Bible talks about having care, the idea is having a divided mind. It's having a divided mind. So we worry when we have a divided mind. A mind that partially we're trusting the Lord, partially we're trying to be obedient to the Lord, but partially we're overcome uh, with having a lack of faith and believing that God's going to come through and that He will do what He said He would do and that He's bigger than our problems and bigger than, than, than any, uh, even our uh, own weaknesses and everything. You know, the, and that, Remember, when the Bible talks about infirmities, it, that's talking about weakness. Uh, so He helpeth us, the Bible says, in our infirmities, but our minds get divided. But the Apostle Paul kept a single mind. He lived for Christ and the gospel. This is amazing. In, in the first chapter of Philippians, Christ is named 18 times. He must have had Jesus on his mind. Amen? Amen. I like the old song that says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Uh, I mean, look full uh, into his face and all that. There's a reason I don't sing it. But anyway, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, he kept his mind on Christ. Uh, and so, uh, so he's kept his mind on Christ. Man, listen, if you look to Jesus, man, I'm telling you, it's going to help you keep a good, better attitude. Amen. 
I mean, uh, because we look at Him, we think about His great love, we think about His power, we think about His sacrifice, we think about all that He went through for us. And I'm telling you, just put things into perspective a little bit. I'm glad that that part of Bible trivia tonight was that coming to Mara, uh, those bitter waters where they threw a tree in there. You know what helps make the bitter waters sweet? Man, the cross does. Amen? The cross helps make the bitter water sweet. And, that, and I believe that's the picture of that wood that was thrown into that water. And uh, man, we just need to look uh, to the Lord. And even in prison, we can look up and say, you know what? The Lord is good. Amen? Eighteen times He mentions Christ. Not in the book of Philippians. In the first chapter of the book of Philippians. And then the gospel is mentioned six times in this chapter. So he was looking to Jesus and he was thinking about the, the gospel, the, be- the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the salvation of souls was on his heart and on his mind. And, uh, and that's why even in prison, he was winning these praetorian guards to Christ, which is just an awesome thing. So he had a single mind. He had an attitude that says this, It makes no difference what happens to me just as long as Christ is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. Paul rejoiced in spite of and sometimes because of his circumstances. Have you learned to rejoice in spite of your circumstances? That's a pretty big step of faith. Because... uh, I remember specifically, and it's it's pretty easy, isn't it, to rejoice when things are going good. Rejoice, the Bible tells us. And we're saying, well, not right now because things aren't going so great. The Bible does not put a, uh, a qualifier on there on, oh, my bad. You know, I didn't realize that things weren't going great in your life right now. No, God says rejoice anyway. Why? Look to Jesus. Amen. He's always the same. Amen. Uh, back years ago, somebody wrote a song that said he's still on the throne. Amen. So what could be wrong? I mean, it just reminds me of another song where it says, if it satisfies you, Lord, it satisfies me. Amen? I mean, if you have me in the valley, or if you have me on the mountain or in the valley on my knees, either way, Lord, it satisfies me. If it satisfies the Lord, it satisfies me. So my life is in His hand. Your life is in His hands. So no matter what the circumstances, uh, we can learn to rejoice in spite of our circumstances. There was a preacher down south years ago. He used to, uh, I mean, he, I don't think I ever heard him preach that he didn't at some point in the message say, praise God anyhow. Praise God anyhow. And you know, that's a good place to get to. Praise God anyhow. Is that not right? What can you face in your life that, we, that God doesn't deserve praise in the midst of it? He deserves our praise. Praise God anyhow. So it's a, it's a step of faith to learn to rejoice in spite of our circumstances. That's a good place to get to. I hope that people on Wednesday night have gotten to that place. But I'm telling you, there's a, there's a, there's a greater step than that though, isn't there? There's rejoicing because of our circumstances. There's rejoicing in spite of our circumstances, even when things are bad. But what, what, what's a, fir- a step further than that that the apostle learned to do? With the thorn in the flesh. He rejoiced because of his adverse circumstances. He didn't say, God, I'm sick. I've got an infirmity. I've got, I've got this, uh, this, this chronic disease, whatever it may be. I've got this chronic issue. And he didn't say, but you know, I'm just going to praise you anyway, Lord. No. He says, Lord, I thank you for this. 
I praise you for this. Thank you for this trial. Thank you for this pain. Thank you for this imprisonment. Not in spite of, but because of. Why? Because he says, man, I have found that in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. So the weaker I am, the more I feel the power of God working in my life. And he's like, so I welcome it, he says. Now, I'll tell you this, uh, that's quite a step, amen? That's quite a step. I don't know uh, if I, I don't know if I've made it there. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I can tell you I've made it to the in spite of step. I don't know if I've made it to the because of step. Maybe in some ways, but that's a, uh, that's a real challenge. But we see this, uh, the, this single mind that he had. Uh, as, long as, as long as Christ was glorified, as long as the gospel was shared with others, he was able to rejoice. And he gives a couple reasons here. Verses 1 through 11 emphasize that his circumstances being imprisoned strengthened the fellowship of the gospel. In other words, man, it's, a, it's an awesome thing when you go study some church history. Uh, and when you go back, and, and, and I recommend it, I don't know if uh, Deb and them have started watching it, but I was talking about the uh, A Lamp in the Dark, I believe is the name of this uh, series that they have on Amazon right now. But it's just talking about the, some of the history of the English Bible. But in doing that, it's talking about many of the martyrs and many of these people that gave their lives uh, to get the Word of God into the mouths of common people. But what would happen? What was it that would happen when persecution would be ramped up, tightened up, uh, uh, lit up, heated up on the people of God? The church grew. Those that were willing to give their lives grew. It didn't decrease. I mean, it was, one of, it was kind of one of the most uh, unproductive things that especially the Roman Catholic Church when they were driving this back during the Dark Ages and, and the Dark Ages was, uh, was something that the Catholic Church back in those days tried to encourage because remember, they were trying to keep people in darkness. They would kill you uh, if you had an English Bible. If you had an English Bible. You didn't have to preach it. You didn't have to share it. If you read it, uh, it was considered heresy. Uh, so they tried to keep people in the dark. But these people, regardless of that, they kept sharing the faith. They kept trying to get the Bible into English. It didn't stop. I mean, the church grew by leaps and bounds. Listen, there's, there's the, the church in the Middle East. There's churches in China. There's some of these places where the church is growing. I mean, where people will not bow. People will not bend. People are standing for Christ, even through persecution. And that's what happened with Paul. He says, because of what I'm going through, it's actually strengthening other people. Because the, the attitude that he has, because they're thinking, you know what? I'm willing to do it too. I'm willing to go. And so many were willing to stand. And all they had to do is they just had to renounce their faith. They had to maybe admit that they were heretics. Uh, they may, they may, did you realize this? That, that maybe all you would have to do would, would say that indeed uh, that Jesus Christ has literally been transformed into a wafer. And maybe they would spare your life. Uh, but if you would not admit that, death to you. If you would not renounce your biblical baptism, uh, you know, they would, uh, you would be killed. But these people stood for what was right. These people uh, propagated the gospel. They kept on going. It reminds me of the church of Smyrna there in the book of Revelation. 
I know I'll say that funny. Uh, but it reminds me of the church of Smyrna there in the book of Revelation. Uh, see, uh, Smyrna is named after a bitter herb that's called myrrh. Myrrh is a bitter herb. But when myrrh is crushed and ground, it releases a beautiful fragrance. See, and that's what happens through the persecution of God's people. That's what happened with the Apostle Paul. He was crushed and he was ground. And as he was, a beautiful fragrance came out. And listen, it, it was not an uncommon thing for those that were actually putting Christians to death to convert to Christ on the spot as they would see the way these Christians would die. And you ought to go back and study those, those our, our forefathers. The reason we have an English Bible today, the reason we have the country that we have today, is because of these people uh, that, that I mentioned that were in northern Italy, uh, southern France, and, and, and throughout uh, Britain and so forth that took a stand for Christ. It's just awesome. But, so... Why was he able to rejoice? Because he understood that his circumstances, his adverse circumstances, strengthened the fellowship of the gospel. Not only that, but they promoted the furtherance of the gospel. Verses 12 through 26. They promoted the furtherance of the gospel. He said, some are out there preaching in spite of me. But you know what? He says, they're still preaching. And I'm okay with that. And I know that's a, a tricky passage that maybe we'll uh, address um, Later, but uh, the, the furtherance of the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel, and then also his persecution helped guard the faith of the gospel. Verses 27 and 30. And so let's look quickly again at this connection that he had here. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints. See, that's the key to all the saints. Uh, so we see the saints. Uh, who are who are the saints here? The church. Everybody that's saved uh, is a saint. Somebody says, I'm no saint. Well, you need to get saved. Amen. Uh, and now I understand normally when we say that, we say we, we mean that we are not sinless. Well, the Bible does not teach that uh, a saint is sinless outside of our position in Christ. Uh, but it's, it's speaking to those that have been set apart, those that are sanctified. It speaks of our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he speaks to the saints here. That, by the way, again, I try you uh, mention it tonight. He was talking about, man, the difference between the fellowship that he has here versus the relationships you have at work and outside. Man, isn't it something to have true fellowship? You've got to have something really in common. And when you have Christ in common, you've got something in common. Amen? I mean, I, I, I've mentioned this to you before, but I think about this so often when I think about fellowship and the care and having stuff in common. I remember before I've heard people say, and I don't know that I've heard it said here too much, uh, but I can remember uh, years ago I heard a lady say, at another church that she just didn't have much in common with the people in the church. Didn't have much in common. Now, listen, uh, that's, that's an issue. Because if you're saved, you've got something in common with the church. You know, you, you'll catch some of us talking about sports. But I'm glad that you don't have to be able to talk about sports to have fellowship. Amen? You don't have to be able to talk about cooking and whatever else people talk about. Folks, I mean, listen, we may not have those things in common. We have the greatest thing in common. We have Christ in common. I, when I was, I was, the Lord saved me when I was 16 years old. 16 years old, just a teenager. 
And uh, uh, one of the people that began to pick me up and take me to church, we had about a 15-20 minute drive to church, uh, and uh, there, there was an old fellow by the name of Ed Ledford that would come pick me and my friends up and take us to church. Uh, and he was, at that time, he was right near 70 years old, somewhere in that range. You want to know something? Ed became one of my best friends. Ed became one of my best friends. Ed didn't like shooting baskets. I mean, like literally, he didn't like shooting basketball and he didn't like shooting a gun at baskets. I mean, none of that. Uh, I would have gone for any of that. Ed didn't like shooting baskets. Ed didn't like, uh, you know, he didn't like, I mean, you know, playing video games. He didn't like, uh, you know, hanging out and stuff like that. He didn't like going around walking around the mall and stuff. Now, that's not true because if you give him some tracks, he'd go walk around the mall. But that'd be about the only uh, case. You know what? Ed became one of my uh, best friends. Why? Man, me and Ed got something in common. What is it? Ed loved Jesus. And I love Jesus. Amen? I mean, Ed loved the Word of God. I love the Word of God. And some of my friends there in that church, and somebody says, well, man, uh, are you friends with that guy? He wears those little zip-up boots and all that stuff. He's an old dude. He's not hip at all. Look back, he had the coolest hair. But uh, I hope it's, mine's like that in a few years. But, uh, but, but he's just an old guy. But he was a friend of mine. Why? We had fellowship. And I think about so many of those other people in that church. Man, I will say, I fell in love with that church. I really did. I fell in love with that church. And I could name a bunch of other people that I won't take time to do that tonight. That, I mean, the Lord just got a hold of my heart. I got to name Joe Fleming. But there were so many that made such an impression in my life. And because we had fellowship. The saints. So he addresses the saints. But not only that, he says uh, to to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, the bishops right there, again, it's it's interesting. Right here in the book of, uh, right here in the first couple verses, we, I don't want to address the error of our day, uh, but because... There's a biblical meaning for saints. Other people have kind of taken and ran that off in a different direction. There's a biblical meaning for bishops. Other people have taken that off and moved in a different direction. A bishop has never been a man that's set up over some large uh, conglomerate of churches somewhere. A bishop is all... You know what a bishop is? A bishop is simply an overseer. A bishop is a pastor. Did you realize that I am the bishop uh, of Elk Point Baptist Church? And I expect to be called that for now on. Amen. Uh, I am the bishop. But it just simply means an overseer. Uh, that's all it is. So the bishop refers to the pastors. Okay? And, and, but, but then it says, and the deacons. So we see the saints, we see the shepherds, and we see the servants. The saints are all the people in the church. The bishops are the pastors. And then there are the deacons. The deacons, and that, that's uh, the servants of the church. And the, the, the bishops and deacons, this is one of the few times that those words are put together uh, like they are here in Philippians. But the implication is this, that the, that the bishops would care more for the spiritual side of things and that the deacons would care more for the physical side of things. A, a good, good reference to that is going back to when there was a dispute among the widows there in the book of Acts uh, you know, about uh, the, the, the Grecian widows weren't getting their food uh, at the, in the same manner as the Jewish uh, widows were and there was a dispute there. And then finally, uh, you know, the, 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 the preachers just said, I ain't got time to deal with y'all. I don't have time to wait tables. You know, uh, we're going to set some men that would be willing to serve in that capacity. And therefore, 
my calling has been to go out and preach and to in the ministry of the word, disciple people, uh, to build the, the spiritual side. You guys have an equally important ministry. You can serve and help take care of these physical needs. So that's kind of the whole thing of bishops and deacons. I've had people uh, tell me before, and by the way, some of you, uh, we, we actually don't have, we, we, I'll, I'll say this, we have a lot of deacons in this church. We don't have anybody that holds the office of a deacon in this church. Uh, and it's not that we're against anybody holding the office of a deacon. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the, what the ratio would be. When the church got to 3,000, they got seven. So you can help me figure out the ratio of that. Uh, Evan, you could do that. I know you're enjoying uh, math right now. Uh, but no, there, there, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but like, so we don't have anybody that holds the office of a deacon in this church. But it's an interesting thing to me over the years. Uh, what has happened to, to saints? What has happened to bishops? And the same things happen to deacons. Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard people say, you know, thank God not here because, man, we got a church a lot like this church. Amen. But I've heard people say before, we, we need to get a deacon in there to kind of keep him under control. When you get a deacon in there uh, to make sure, you know, kind of keep him. Uh, it's like, where's that at in the Bible? Amen. Literally, deacons were called to be servants and they happily did so. And sometimes we can try to demean a deacon and demean what it means to be a servant. There's nothing wrong with waiting tables. Amen. Waiting the tables of widows is what those first deacons were called to do. There's some men that pride themselves in being a deacon that they wouldn't want to get nowhere near no widow's table. Amen? And so, uh, but that's a whole other thing. But he's addressing these men as bishops and deacons. And uh, so we see uh, the people he addresses here, the basis for such a connection. I love this. Uh, the Bible says, um, grace be unto you and peace. Let me tell you something. You'll have no peace until you first have grace. Grace and peace from God our Father. Now we've, we've addressed this a few times throughout the years. But, the, but, but this is the basis of this connection that we're able to share with God's people, by the way. God our Father. And I just want to pause just a moment and remind you how revolutionary such a statement truly is. You say, what statement? God our Father. See, the Jews in the Old Testament, they had some occasional glimpses as God as Father. But in a general sense, they did not think of God as Father God. You go to the, you go to the Gentile world, the world that the, the Philippians lived in, Zeus was a lustful, vengeful God. I mean, you look at those, uh, those guys on Mount Olympus, man. Those gods and those goddesses, they were... I mean... The, they weren't God our Father. Zeus was, could be God your Father in the sense because he's out trying to uh, have as many kids as he can with all these different women. That was their God. But this is, he refers to God our Father. I mean, uh, so, so, so Zeus was a lustful and a vengeful God. The Syrian uh, gods and the gods of the Orient were carnal and cruel gods. You ever look at the gods of, of that Indian, that the, of India, and some of these, the horrifying faces uh, and the images that they make of these? You know, they're worshiping demons in essence, but 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 they're gods. They were carnal and cruel. The gods of Egypt were a, a strange conglomeration of sun and serpent mixed together, cows and crocodiles, cats and dogs, beetles and fish, and so forth. I find it very interesting that uh, that. 
oh boy, the, I believe it was the Aztecs that actually worshipped uh, worship the snake. Uh, you know, and it's interesting when you think about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, uh, okay, sorry, I'm just getting hung up a little bit here. Uh, but I don't think I'll go this route, but it's just, well, I will go this route just for a minute, amen, then I'll come right back. We just passed, we just got past, past Columbus Day. Uh, and there, there's no doubt that there were some things that, that weren't done exactly right throughout the early days of Europeans coming to this, you know, to the Americas. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, you look at some of what some of these tribes were doing one to another. It's worse than anything a European ever has done to any of them. Uh, and that's, that's just a fact. Um, and the reason it wasn't a genocide is because there was a legit uh, battle. I mean, there, there was wins and losses. And, and there, that's a whole other uh, thing. I don't want to go down that road uh, too much tonight. But, uh, but it's, it's just to point that out. It was interesting. Man, when, when Thomas Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark, I mean, I, I, have, I have read his actual words of what he wrote. He wanted to establish relationships with the Native Americans. He wanted to, he, he, he wanted to, to be, be willing, he was willing to pay for their passage to Washington, D.C. to sit down and get to know one another and so forth. That's what Thomas Jefferson, you can go read it when he sent Lewis and Clark. And listen, there was a lot of things that were done wrong. Uh, uh, and I don't mean to say that there wasn't, uh, but I'm just saying it's not all that it's uh, the, the way it's portrayed in this day and age. Okay, moving on. Uh, okay, so throughout this, there's there's three thoughts that are dealt with. Um, oh yeah, so the, the whole fellowship factor. We'll we'll try to close on this thought of fellowship. Uh, this fellowship factor. You can't have fellowship with someone unless you have something in common. I've already said that. He writes about the fellowship of the gospel. I have you in my heart. Chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. So we have the fellowship of the gospel. We also have the fellowship of the Spirit. Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. So we have the fellowship of the Spirit. There's also, Philippians chapter 3, the fellowship of His sufferings. The fellowship of His sufferings. Um, Philippians addresses a lot of modern day issues if you really think about it just through its clear teaching because it's awesome that God really wants you to be joyful. He really does. He loves you. He wants you to be full of joy. That's how He wants His people to live. The problem is, is that a lot of people think that if God wants us to be joyful, therefore prison, sickness, all these things must then be excluded. You know, you have this walk of faith and if you're really living for God, these things aren't going to happen to you. Well, that's not accurate. God wants us to be joyful. But again, we can be joyful not only in spite of what we go through, but we can be uh, joyful because of what we're going through. By the grace and power of, of God, not because of ourselves. Because the fellowship of His sufferings, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. The fellowship of His sufferings. Uh, when you suffer, remember this, Christ suffered. He did it. Hey, when you're lied about, I mean, man, you, this can happen to all of us, but I'm telling you, uh, if, when, you when you surrender to preach and you get into the ministry, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing, but you are going to be slandered sometimes. You're going to be lied about sometimes. Uh, and, and I remember going through uh, that myself one time and thinking to myself, 
kind of starting to have a pity party about it. But God really encouraged my heart because He took me on a journey as I uh, was in that kind of a bad place. I was struggling in my life right then. Uh, Man, I was low. I guess about the lowest I've been in my life. Uh, And I was just going through that. I was just thinking to myself, you know what? Which of God's servants weren't slandered? Which of His servants weren't uh, talked about and lied about throughout. And then, you know what God told me? He said, you're in good company. Amen? I mean, you know, that's, that's, the, that's what I got through the Scripture and through the understanding that you're in good company. It just happens. It happens sometimes. So the fellowship of His sufferings. You go through pain, Jesus went through pain. And I may not be able to say, I know what you're going through. And let me encourage you, please don't tell someone you know what they're going through if you don't know what they're going through. There's some things I can say I know what you're going through, but there's other things I can't say that. Um, and, 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 and I'll just, well, no, I'm not going to go that route. Or am I? <laughs> if you have tried, I'll, I'll just use MS for an example. And, and th- literally, this, is, I, I, I don't, I don't, this isn't addressing anybody specific, I promise you this. But it's just something we need to learn. If you haven't, if you haven't been healed uh, of MS by, you know, eating bananas and sticking incense in your ear or whatever, uh, and putting essential oil under your big toe, uh, don't tell somebody else they're going to be healed of MS if they do that. Okay, uh, don't don't go to somebody that's lost a child and you've never lost a child, and don't say, "Well, at least they're in heaven." That may be true, but you know, sometimes, sometimes people don't need a sermon. Sometimes people just need to be encouraged. I had a friend of mine that lost a, lost a son. He was born with a tumor that nobody realized until it was too late, and he died. He was just two or three years old. And uh, went back to his home church in Tennessee for the funeral, and uh, somebody comes up to him and says, you know what, uh, Brother Andrew, you know, it's probably a blessing. It's probably a blessing that your son died. You know what? God probably knew that he was going to grow up and go out into sin. So God really blessed you by taking your son. Uh, I just encourage you, sometimes it's just better not to say anything at all. Sometimes it's just, just good to say, I'm praying for you. Now, I'm not saying that we can't say and do some of these things out of a good motive and a good heart, honestly. I, man, I tell you, I, uh, I came close. I had a close, close friend of mine. He called me when he and his wife had their first miscarriage. I believe they had two or three more. Uh, if you, people, some people that haven't had miscarriages, which we have not had a miscarriage, uh, but some people haven't had them, we think, what's the big deal? You never saw the baby, you never blah, 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 and, uh, which is just foolish, let me tell you. Uh, but uh, my friend called me up, and he, man, he was just crying, and he was broken. Man, she lost the baby. She lost the baby. And I'm trying to, you know, mind my own rules here. So I'm trying to be very, I'm, I'm not saying much at all. I'm sorry, brother. Man, you know, praying for you, this and that. The thought crossed my mind, though. An encouraging thought. I love this brother. I love his dear wife. I love his children. And I was, I, the thought crossed my mind to say, well, man, praise God, you've got the, health, the other healthy three kids there. But I didn't say it. And just a little bit later, he says, man, and somebody even said to me, well, at least you've got three healthy kids. I'm thinking, whew, I'm glad that didn't come out of my mouth. 
It wouldn't have come out of my mouth in no kind of meaning anything. So I'm not saying that when we say stupid stuff that we're trying to be mean or insensitive. Uh, just we, we have a good heart. We care about people. We want to see people well. We want to see people encouraged. We want to, you know, but sometimes it's just better to say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm here if you need me. Man, that stinks. That really stinks. That's tough. I, I mean, why not? You know, what, what, we, we don't always have to come in. There will be a time when their hearts will be encouraged. There will be a time, just like all of us, there will be a time when we're ready for that message of, uh, of understanding and of hope and of encouragement. But in the meantime, man, let's just pray for people. Let's just try to encourage people. Let's try to listen. Uh, you know, listen. Let's just try to be an ear uh, to, and, a, and a shoulder to cry on sometimes. Amen. And so, uh, so, uh, um, boy, where'd that come from? Okay. Uh, the love and fellowship that we have for one another. Amen. The, uh, the, the care, the circumstances that we go through. Um, all right. And I got to try to bring this thing to a landing somewhere here. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's just real quick. We'll look down here at, uh, verse, well, maybe we'll close with verse number six, being confident with this very thing that he, which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. For one thing, the work God does for us is salvation. He which hath begun the work. God begins the work. Amen? Now you hear me preach plenty about hyper-Calvinism, five-point Calvinism around here. I emphasize that because there, there's people that believe just like I do that, that classify themselves as Calvinists just because they don't believe you can lose your salvation. And just because they believe that the Spirit of God uh, it m- must uh, reveal to a person's heart that they're unsaved. But that's not what uh, true hyper-Calvinism and five-point Calvinism is. But So you hear me talk a lot about that. But on the other side, there's Arminianism. That's the other thing. And what happens is people like to swerve when it comes to the Bible. Have you noticed that? People like to swerve. People like to go to extremes. People like to go beyond the Word of God. And so the Arminians though, Calvin is an answer to the Arminians in many ways. Because the Arminians, we say, what's an Arminian? Arminians would be those that basically say that you just get saved at will and you lose it at will. You know, I mean, uh, there, there, there is something to be said about those that just, you know, I've known guys that can get that, uh, that, that get on an elevator with a dozen people and between the first and third floor, they get off the elevator and said they led all 12 people to the Lord. Uh, I'm not saying that can't happen. Uh, but I'm just saying there'd have to be a lot. There'd have to be some crazy circumstances involved there. What they were able to do was, in a very short amount of time, convince those people to say a prayer. So what? That's not salvation. Uh, and, and and to me, that's an Arminian type of thing. But then the, the other side of it is losing your salvation. Those that believe you can lose it, don't worry though. You can get it right back. Oh, I lost it again. No worries. You can get it right back. Uh, that's Armenian, okay? Uh, but and, but you, you initiated. But see, here's the thing. Being confident of this very thing, that He which has begun, Jesus is the one that begins the work. The Holy Spirit begins the work of salvation. He, do, he is the one that reveals to our hearts. He is the one that shows us our need for salvation. Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father except the Father cometh unto me, except the Father which sent me, draw him. John 6, 44. Um, so the work that God does for us is salvation. The work that God does in us is sanctification. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of uh, Jesus Christ. 
The work that God does through us is service. I'm glad that God will perform that work until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's talking about when the Lord comes again. Amen. And the rapture. Uh, and so I thank the Lord that we have that promise. I thank God that we can have a love for one another. I thank God for the fellowship that we can have one for another. I thank God upon every remembrance of y'all that are here tonight. I really do. I mean, I'm, what a blessing. I, there, I just can't imagine that there's a man alive that's more blessed than me tonight. I really can't. I can't imagine that there's a preacher that's more blessed than me tonight. A husband, a dad. I, can't, I, don't, I don't think it's possible. But, I, but how many preachers can be studying the book of Philippians and this type of church and be saying, man, that's Elk Point Baptist. You know, and, and I could just start going through the names and thinking that's them. That's those people with love. That's those people with fellowship, amen? That's those people that care for one another. That's the people that encourage. I mean, listen, I want you to know something right now. There's a lot of preachers, when they think about their church, man, yeah. son, they're at the doctor getting prescription Prilosec and, uh, and Valium and everything else, you know. Um, but when I think about this church, man, it just blesses my heart, amen? <laughs> Don't be one of them members, amen? All right. <laughs> 